Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode nine of the Goal Line Podcast, where we focus on trying to make you the best leader that you can be on and off the field. Today, I am joined by not necessarily a soccer coach, but a business leader nonetheless. His name is Tim Ziakis. So Tim and I first met when I was a student at Centenary back in about 2014, where he came to a sports management conference. And, you know, from there, we just kind of started talking, struck up a relationship. And here we are six years later, probably actually around the same time from when we first met. Uh, now you're on the podcast. So Tim, thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. So when Tim and I first met, so Tim, when we first met, you were running Parkview Sports, which is essentially you would go into these big sports facilities, help recover their business. But before we get into that, you started in the finance world. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. And then what kind of made you realize that that's not really what you wanted to do? And then that led you into buying uh, your first sports facility, RBI Baseball in New Jersey, and successfully turning that around. Um, but before we get there, what was, you know, what was kind of your thinking when you first wanted to make that switch? Yeah, I actually appreciate the question because not a lot of people have asked that. So it, it kind of makes me think a little bit about, it probably makes more sense to go even further back. And so yes, out of college, I was working in finance and for a wealth management company. But years before that, in college, I worked for a uh, an indoor baseball and softball academy. And so as a, as a college baseball player, you know, we, I was always training and, and leading up to playing in college. I went and got lessons and hit all the time. And I couldn't help but think that how cool of a business that was to be in. And so I remember very vividly my I think it was my sophomore year of college in a car because I didn't have a car in college at that time, going back up to college and saying to my father, I was an economics degree. uh, I was an economics major. And I remember saying to my dad, I don't know what it is, but I really want to own my own baseball school someday. Now, I was 19, 20 years old at the time. And I don't think a lot of people are thinking about that in their lives at that point. But when I came to the point at First Investors Corporation where I was, which was a privately held wealth management company, a couple of years out of college, I got to the point where I said, this isn't really what I want to be doing with my day. This isn't how I want to be spending my days. I'm, I believe in what I was doing in terms of helping clients with their financial situations and business owners and manage quite a bit of money for them. But at the end of the day, I was like, this isn't what I want to do. And when I thought back to the days that when I was driving up with my father, that's when it kind of hit me is that I don't, I don't think that I'm going to do things in my life tomorrow, the next day or down the road that I'm not interested in doing anymore. And uh, that has led to the decision not only to just leave wealth management and do baseball, but it's kind of been at the root of all my career decisions, to be honest. Right. So when you kind of realized your your job in the financial industry wasn't necessarily what you wanted to do. Did you just kind of quit on a whim and buy RBI, or was it you were still working in the finance industry, and then you decide, and then you know, or you were slowly working your way to buying it, or was it all just a kind of like a complete one hundred and eighty? Making those decisions are, are hard enough as it is. Uh, doing it without some strategy involved in it is is almost impossible. So. Similar to other situations in my life, that, that's a pretty good example of having to do two things really well at the same time and committing that 
just kind of investment in yourself to do it allows you to then transition. And so that's a long way of saying, no, I didn't quit and then start thinking about RBIs. It was, it was there's an overlap of about eight, eight, nine months for that transition to fully happen. Right. And did you do it alone or did you have partners? Originally, it was me and a high school friend that decided to buy an existing baseball and softball academy. Um, we were coaching American Legion. I was, I was living in Hoboken, working in Manhattan, driving back about 50 minutes back to my hometown in New Jersey on Saturdays and Sundays to coach American Legion baseball. And two of the parents that had children on the team owned a baseball academy. I just looked a little rundown, um, two cage, two and a half cage hitting facility underneath the basement of a tool rental facility. Wow. Couldn't see it from the street. <laughs> and they wanted me to come back and work for them during the week. And I said, I, I don't know if I can quit my full-time job as a, uh, as an investment advisor to come back and, and flip baseballs for $12 an hour. But what if I, what if I bought it from you? You know, you have a nice little, little thing here. Um, but it's obviously you need people to kind of invest their time. They, both the dads worked elsewhere. It, it wasn't right. their job. And so that's really how the story came to be. I, it's not like I went out and came up with an idea to open up a baseball and softball academy. Is that I saw an existing one. There was an opportunity with a little blood, sweat, and tears. It could be a nice little business at 23 years old to be able to say that you do for a living. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think too, you know, you were bright enough and smart enough to realize kind of that opportunity that presented itself. And whether, and you know, you, you were also obviously putting yourself in that situation, but I think, you know, as a, as a coach or as a player, just, you know, all the opportunities that, that are brought upon us, I think we have to kind of make for ourselves and, and be self-aware that, you know, wherever, whatever we do there, there's an opportunity around us. So, you know, that, that's pretty cool that you recognize that opportunity and then took full advantage of it. Yeah, oh, go ahead, go. Or, or I was dumb enough to think that I could do it. One of the two. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it worked out. So, but so you ended up officially buying it in 2008. Is that right? It's actually 2007. 2007. Okay. So, and then, so then it, obviously there was the 2008 recession. So, how did you manage you, your first year into buying a facility, at, you know, in your early mid 20s? And now, now the recession hits. So, what were, you know, what did you kind of do? Or what was your thought process as the recession was hitting, you know, in your facility? What, like, what was going on? There's, a, there's a, a very clear, vivid memory of me and my partner, Jerry, inside the facility, having a catch at probably six or seven o'clock at night. And there's nobody in the facility. So when we bought that in the fall of 2007, we kind of missed the boat in terms of marketing and branding and setting up things for that winter. And if you know New Jersey weather... You know, you really get four or five, six crummy months, which is the busiest months for an indoor academy. Right. And so we kind of missed the boat that first that first year anyway. And so when we hit the summer of 2008 and into, into the to winter, we we were we were hurting. Um, luckily, we negotiated a deal uh, on the rent side that allowed us some flexibility. We had some recurring revenue coming in. And both he and I were working outside of the facility. I think one of the, the misconceptions in the past 10, 15 years of my career anyway, is that there's only been one thing that I've focused on. And in the reality, 
there's always been multiple projects and multiple things that I'm doing that allows me to do something like RBIs. And so, for example, from 2007 to 2000, I think 13 or 14, I substitute taught during the day. I would coach wow. high school, baseball and softball at the high school levels. I would coach travel teams. Yes, I ran the business and also did lessons during the day uh, and in the evening, but there was always multiple sources of income coming in. And that really is attributed to my days in wealth management is understanding the power of having diversified income and just knowing that time is, is really the commodity. And if you can allocate it, you can make money in a lot of different ways, doing exactly what you want to do every single day. Right. And so RBIs was never and never intended to be something that I would do from nine to seven and provide 100% of my income. It was, it was never the goal. It never right. what I wanted. So when, after, I guess, 2008, when did you kind of realize like, wow, th this thing is actually taking off. This is going to be successful. Was there, was there a moment in time where you were able to kind of sit back and see everything kind of falling in place for you at the facility? There were two things. So one was just the feel and the vibe of the place by the, by the winter of 2008 and the, and the summer of 2009. And then again, in the, in the fall and winter of 2009, um, it, we were humming. There was a good, there was a good buzz to it. People were excited. We had memberships. We had travel teams. We were doing private lessons. We were doing birthday parties. We started an adult dodgeball league. We were selling apparel, um, out of 2,600 square feet. I mean, the place was small. And so there was just this feel, this community to it. On the other side, there was the, the, the quantitative stuff. There was the numbers. We were seeing that our, our revenue was going up. We were seeing repeat customers. There was actual KPIs that we put in place that could kind of tell us what we were feeling, but using some data to it. And we were butting up against when our lease was up. And so we came to the conclusion, and really after a lot of deciding, after six, seven months, we started the process is, do we stay here and renew our lease for five years and do what we're doing? And that's that. Or do we explore what some other options are? And that's when we decided to kind of explore some different avenues that at that time made sense. And so then moving on to those different avenues, that's when Parkview was founded? So Parkview wasn't founded until 2013. And so in 2010, we made the decision to uh, lease another space about three times the size of about 8,500 square feet. And it was at the time in 2011-ish, 2010-ish, um, it was the only space in pretty much all of Morris County that had enough space for a, a, a full Little League infield. And so there were other facilities that were much more soccer fields and lacrosse fields. And yes, of course, you could rent it and hit ground balls. But ours was the first dedicated space to having a full inf Little League infield on the field at the same time to practice base running and pickoffs and double plays. And, and so that was the opportunity there to kind of capture something that nobody else was offering. And at the time, there was probably 10 other baseball and softball academies within 15 miles. Right. Wow. A full Little League infield. That's insane. That's wild. But um, so I, I kind of jump forward. So in, in the process of you buying RBIs and going through it did you like did you ever ever have any self-limiting beliefs kind of like oh man this isn't going to happen you know we just invested all this money we're not going to do it and kind of like what was your mentality going through everything 
during the process? Like, what if it doesn't work or did you never kind of think like that? You know, I don't know if, I think the way that I would describe it is that there was always, I was always bracing myself for the unknown. There was always going to be a period of not having every single answer and just finding a way to be okay with that and being calm in that. And so I, I relate a lot of this back to you know, baseball and you can do that with, with, with soccer for yourself is that unless you're put into heat experiences, unless you're put into really difficult situations and feeling and then learning how to get through that same or similar situation in the future is really the only way that you grow. It's the only way that you're able to learn and do things in life. And so I don't know if I would call it a, a self-doubt, but there was always a point in any of the decisions that I've made is that this may not work. I may not be able to control everything. I may not have the right answers. And as long as I think through this slowly and clearly and just put some thought behind it, the likelihood that I fall flat on my face is not really high. I'm, I'm most likely going to be good at this because I like it and I'm going to learn about it and I'm passionate about it. So hope that answers your question. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. I mean, it just, it, it just seems like that you were pretty self-aware on one, exactly what, like you said, what you love to do and kind of what you're, you're passionate about. So you just put the two together and, you know, I think then you're happy about what you're doing. You can keep a smile on your face and know that, you know, there are a couple of things that you could control, like your work ethic and your attitude. And it seems like you had a pretty good hold on those. So if you failed, you know, you're, it just seemed like you were going to move on to the next challenge in your life. And obviously, and you know, luckily or not, but fortunately you didn't fail and you, you made a successful business and now you have a little league infield in this facility back through 2010 to 2013. And, and then what happened? Yeah. So, well, just to go back real quick, there, there are failures. There's, there's actually lots of failures along the way. It's just making sure that those failures don't, you know, capsize the boat, but right. that's, that's, that's what allows you to then go do the next thing. And so that's by putting myself in those experiences, I learned and developed Parkview Sports. And so Parkview Sports came to be in around 2011, 2012, I got the idea that there are tons of sports facilities in New Jersey, in Morris County, in the, in the country. And they go out. They, they, there's a high turnover rate. They, they turn over every few years. And a lot of the times it's because it's really freaking hard to have your own business. Right. It's really hard. I don't care what you do. It's hard to put yourself out there. And if I had the ability to come in and add some perspective and add some experience that I could help avoid another small business owner from having to go through, then I was going to do that. And so Parkview Sports was founded really based off of, I had a mother who came to RBIs a lot and she was very entrepreneurial. She said, Tim, could I run some ideas by you? And we actually have never ended up doing any work together because they were just ideas and they were great. But I thought to myself, there has to be other people that share these same questions and concerns. And so then I started to kind of put out some feelers and I started working with some CrossFit gyms. I started working with uh, a couple of basketball facilities, a lacrosse academy, and started to realize that there are things that they're going through that are easy fixes, but they just don't have the bandwidth to do. And if I can come in and not just do it for them, but teach them how to do it so that they can do this for their business, Again, similar to RBIs, 
that's a really cool thing to be able to say that you're doing at 28 or 29 years old, you know? So why not go do it if that's what you want to go do? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, it, that's incredible. And for those listening, you know, I had the, I had the pleasure to intern from Tim a little bit in one of the summers that I was still in school and then a little bit in my senior year as well. And just to kind of learn a little bit more, but that the first CrossFit gym you're talking about, what, you know, what did they see in you that made them want, want to trust in you and kind of, and choose you to help fix their business, I guess, if you will. You know, it, it's tough to say. I didn't, I've never asked them that, but I'd like to think that they found somebody that, you know, was aware of what situation they were going through that could, they has kind of done it before. And maybe more importantly, someone that they can trust to find the answers and help guide them. And I, I think that that's the case in any job really is, you know, being able to add value in a way that uh, people can see it. Uh, I, to my advantage, I was a financial advisor for years and I was trained and, you know, was trained by a really good company on how to, you know, do things on a consultative approach. And so it was kind of natural to work with some of these small business owners because they needed it. And it, it, a lot of times it was, it was a difference of real money in their pocket to be able to, to not go out of business is drastic, but to be able to not have to come out of pocket for things that they normally would have had to, because we were marketing their business the right way now, which were simple fixes. That's, that's rewarding stuff. So I think that they saw that passion that I could help them with that. So what, like, what, what are some of those simple fixes just in terms of like, was it the, was it the people or was it the product? Uh, it's, it's almost never the product. It's, it's, almost always the people. And it, what, what I've found over a large span of time in a lot of different roles is that in sales and in marketing and in branding, if you're not super focused on who your audience is and you're not super focused on being the absolute best resource and providing the best services for them, then it doesn't really matter how good the product is. And that's where a lot of, not just for the sake of this, CrossFit gyms across the country, that's any business. That's that's enterprise companies. That's Fortune 500 companies. If you're not focused in on who it is that you're trying to serve and what they need, then it doesn't matter how good you are at teaching people different exercises in CrossFit. You have to be able to connect with them. And that's what these business owners in general were struggling with. They, they weren't getting their messages across clearly. They weren't using the right platforms. They weren't using the right tones. They weren't using the right cadences, the technologies. And so if you can come in and do that for them, then that puts, that puts them at ease. That, that, that gives them actually a sense of comfort. So, so when you're going into, into these businesses, you have to qualify them too, as people you want to work with. So what do you, you know, what, I guess, what did you see in certain business owners that either made you want to work with them or kind of turned you away? Yeah. And it's, it's that. And are, are they at a point that they can benefit from what I have to offer. So it, it's, are they even in a situation that they can, they can get something from our experience together. And that, that is the case. A lot of times is that, you know, I'm, I'm privy to a lot of leadership development stuff now, given my current role. But if you look back in your life, there's all different situations and experiences that allow you to then make decisions. And so for a lot of these business owners, they've never, done of any of the things that they're now required to do as a as an executive for their company and that's what they are yeah there's only 
for CrossFit trainers and it's them, but they, they are the head. And so coming in and helping them to identify those different areas and their own personal sort of abilities is, is really, that was the hardest part for me. Um, is because you're actually trying to change people and that's just not a very easy thing to do at all. Well, how do you, how do you go about like, how do you go about changing people? So there has to be a, a fundamental agreement on, um, your desire as the individual to be open-minded to change and you have to be, you can't be resilient to learning more. And that's where, shoot, if you really wanted to get holistic, I will. But I think that as a society, we are not doing enough to put ourselves in situations that we're open to failing and learning and then achieving more. And so working with these business owners, you have to create that experience with them. You have to create that self-awareness. And so the only way to create that self-awareness a lot of times is by asking questions that no one in their right mind or uh, in the right place would ever ask them. So open-ended questions, getting them to think about how they treat other people, how they're thinking about themselves as a leader for their organization. That was where I spent a lot of my work. Yeah, I would come in and help them with their Facebook and their Twitter. But at the end of the day, I was helping them to become better leaders for the organization because they couldn't keep me on retainer for 15 years, nor should they. They, sh- they kind of need to learn these skills um, and that's where uh, Parkview ended up transferring into something completely different. But um, yeah, so so what did you learn about yourself when you're starting when you're first starting with these you know smaller gyms and then starting Parkview now working with these large these extremely large sports facilities? You know what? How did you see yourself year grow in, in that in that time span? You know, the beauty about the work that I've done, especially in sports facilities, is that they were really smart people. I mean, really smart, you know, creative people. And so I just love being around those types of people in general. And so I learned, you know, things about myself that I now am capable of doing only because I work with certain clients. So I'll give you an example. There was a a client that had a monster sports facility, over a hundred thousand square feet. They did a ton of business. Uh, it was their full-time job. It had been in the family for years. They, they just did a really, really nice job. And so that was a whole new challenge for me because they had their stuff together. You know, there wasn't a whole lot that I was going to be able to do for them in a way that they weren't already doing, thinking about, or, or certainly capable of doing themselves. So I had to find a way to work with them because I really wanted them as a client. I mean, that, that would, that's a big brand name and something that I would love to attach Parkview Sports to. And so I kind of had to adapt and think through, all right, well, how the heck do I add value to a, an entity here that probably doesn't need a good chunk of the stuff that I'm really good at? And so I, I learned to adapt. I learned to evolve. Um, and I've never really actually thought about it until you just asked that. But that, that's been a big part of uh, my development is, is doing, repeating that same thing is to adapt and evolve on the fly and be resilient. Um, yeah. It just sounds like <laughs> the challenge is like, you know, that's how everybody should be. And, you know, especially as a coach and cause most of the people I, br- I bring on here are coaches and 
I think one of them mentioned, you know, you just have to be able to adapt with the times and kind of adjust to new styles and new kids and everything like that. And, you know, being able to adapt is going to be one of, I think, your biggest attribute attributes as a person. I think you bring up a really, really great point is that you cannot coach as someone that has coached a good chunk of my life, both in sports and professionally uh, with executives and senior leaders. It's just coaching is that you, you have to evolve. The way that you coach today is not the way that your dad was coached or my mom was coached. You cannot apply those same tactics. And so you have to evolve. Kids today are different than when I was playing American Legion baseball. They just are. And so as a coach, it's a, it's a skill that you really can't, you can't be the best coach that you can be without having the skill set of being adaptable and evolving. Yeah, it, it just goes to a process of never ending learning as well, I think, which again, episode five, one of one of my one of my coaches I work for. And that's that's one of the things he mentioned is just never stop learning. And, you know, I think you everyone can learn new things about themselves. I mean, it's, you know, I'm trying to learn something new about myself personally every day. Um, so I think that's just a, a process and a recipe for success right there. But it is. Um, it yeah. is. So where kind of where did you start to see challenges with Parkview and working with all these facilities and different owners? And, you know, how do you how do you work with somebody who is a grown adult and has been working for years and years? And and just how do you deal with a stubborn person like that and try to get him to see what he's missing? Because I think it's, it's also relatable to <coughs> a kid, too, or to like a, an athlete that we're coaching. So there's a couple of different ways. Uh, again, it goes down to the root court. They have to, they have to be open to it themselves in order to truly break through. But when people start to, I think it's great that you're doing podcasts, right? And so when people start to hear themselves, they say, wow, is that the way that I really come across? Is that the way that, that people, that's the experience that I'm creating for people. And that goes for leaders too. So when I was working with executives or the leadership group at these facilities, they would run a meeting or they would have a sidebar conversation with a staff member, or they would write an email to their team that is clearly not appropriate or effective or meaningful or valued. Like it's just, there's a disconnect there. And so being able to, to put that in front of the executive's face is really the only way for them to kind of have that aha moment. And to your point about working with someone who's stubborn, if they're not willing to get to the point where they hear that type of feedback, then you just don't work with them. And that is the beauty about doing things on your own. <laughs> You're not forced to have them as a client. And I can, I can tell several stories of people that I either never worked with or stopped relationships or we've parted ways because there was just a clear disconnect in how the relationship was going to go. And that's okay. Uh, that's okay in life. So what, what is one of those stories? Give us, can you give us one? So one without, uh, going into names and details right. is, you know, there, there was a, a leader for one of the sports facilities that, um, probably, you know, got in over their head a little bit too much and was struggling at that point and was looking to raise capital and I can actually think of many that have kind of gone through this and, and you start to make decisions that are not best for your organization. And you need to kind of remove yourself 
from that really intense period of being stressed out. And that's when you need to find calm and be, uh, you know, clear thinking and have a, a sense of what's going on. And that, that senior leader was not able to do that. They were not able to remove themselves. They were constantly making bad decisions. And at the end of the day, there's, there's not a whole lot for me to do for you. I'm, I'm not, uh, classically trained to handle those types of situations. I can, I can do a lot of things, but that's not it. And so we moved in different directions, but you know, at the end of the day, that's kind of what you have to do as a business owner too, for yourself is that you can't be bogged down with people that don't necessarily want to change or work with you. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's so relatable to coaching as well. It's just, you know, if a kid just refuses to learn or refuses to listen and, you know, is just stubborn in not believing in your coaching style. I think it's kind of the same way. You just kind of either try to work with them or you, you cut them and move on because obviously it's not, a, it's not a right fit. So how many sports facilities did you work with in Parkview? I probably worked with over four years. Um, I'd say a, I'd say a dozen sports facilities, and I would add four more uh, sports-related, but definitely not sports facility projects that I had worked on. Right. Okay. So now using all of, all of that experience from RBIs to all the smaller gyms to Parkview and all those sports facilities, you made, you took another step into, was it like consulting, right? With, and working with kind of fortune 500 CEOs in, in that sense. Yeah. So I took a job back in 2017, um, with a, no, sorry, 2018, the company called Decker Communications. And so, so much of the work that I was doing in Parkview Sports ended up helping those leaders become better leaders. It was, it was not necessarily down to, all right, here's how to use Facebook and Instagram, and here's the hashtags that you should be using, which is how Parkview Sports started. It turned very much into almost like executive coaching, and, and I had no experience coaching other executives. And so... I started to think about, well, I, I really like this. I, I like the prospects of doing this, but I, I need to learn more about this. And so I started to do just do some research on how to on communication and connecting and being more authentic because I was looking for things to bring back to my clients. And that's how I found Decker Communications, which is a small boutique consulting company that would literally help executives and senior leaders in their teams better communicate and connect and be more authentic with themselves. And so I took a role to handle some of their um, strategy and develop some relationships and st strategic partnerships that would, would bring in some new revenue. So it was an interesting kind of transition. Yeah. So what, when you started working with these CEOs and getting them to understand how to communicate better, what, what were some of the personality traits of these CEOs that you saw that kind of made them successful and then also hindered at their success a little bit, which forced them to bring you in or not forced, but which, which was, they were open to bring you in. This is one of my favorite things to talk about because for some reason, and I understand the reason why we put executives and CEOs and board members on this shelf. And then we put varsity coaches and small business owners and uh, college athletes on a different pedestal. And we're saying that these are two different people, that the character traits of this group who's really successful is different than the character traits. They're the same. 
And so the things that these CEOs are, are horrible at is um, they're subject matter experts. They know everything, just like your varsity soccer coach who had been there for 15 years. They, there's nothing that they don't know about the rules, the game, the competitors. They know a ton. What they have the most difficult time doing is taking that knowledge and giving it to somebody else in a way that they understand it really quickly. And CEOs, senior executives, the, some, some high-level professional coaches, teachers, professors, individual business owners were all guilty of it. And what they were really good at, however, is uh, thinking through complex problems. They were, they're fantastic at um, thinking globally slowing themselves down, staying calm and rational in really, I mean, really intense situations like billions of dollars of uh, swings in the investment market could happen based on their decisions or how they portray themselves. So like that's stressful. The CEOs, the best baseball players, the best coaches can all handle those things very well. And so the difference between these elite athletes and best coaches and, and the CEOs that lead some of the best innovative companies in the world is not that much different. Um, you need those same skill sets. Did a lot of these CEOs play sports it, like growing up? Do you know their background? You might not. You know, what's funny is I don't know, but my gut is no. Um, and and when, I, when you say play sports, I take that as played at a competitive high school and or collegiate level. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so the vast majority of them, Jesse, not really. Um, a lot of them come from a very science, math based background. So when, and, and, and they spent a lot of their time doing a lot of those types of things. So they were involved in amazing activities, but they were doing, you know, science clubs at the, at the university down the road for a semester uh, instead of playing soccer or baseball like you and I. So they, they had the different leadership experiences outside of sports. It's interesting because yeah. uh, maybe I'm biased, but I mean, I think just, I mean, playing sports can just teach you so much about leadership and communication and just all these things. So were these people just kind of put in the position because they're really good at what they do and not, and then kind of you, and then they trust you to fill that gap of, what they're not good at. And that's the leadership and development of the staff and employees. Yeah. I mean, everybody has deficiencies and derailments, right? We're, we can all improve. And so CEOs, uh, a lot of times coming from their board, a lot of times are being told that these messages aren't landing and you know, it's not resonating. You're not the, the buy-in from the team is not what we would expect at this time. And so the disconnect there, just, just like a coach, and we've all had coaches, right? Everybody listening, you, myself, we've all had coaches that are incredibly ineffective. They say the same cliche thing over and over. It's clear after a while, they don't actually know the game that well. It's clear after a while that you realize they didn't play at a very high level, um, and so the same can be said for, for executives in some cases. And so being able to, to land messages and um, communicating with your team is, is the same for coaches. And it's really the same for CEOs and executives. 
So what are some of the things that you're trying to relay to these executives that they like they need to understand? Is there one or two or maybe even three things that, I mean, I guess it's a case by case scenario, but are there at least kind of two or three things that these executives need to understand and get through their head and they need to, you know, be really good at it? And yes, and I'll substitute executives with adults to, to just make it really broad. It, when you think about development as just even human beings, children are constantly developing, right? The, your, your ability at, so I have a three and a half year old, Charlie at three and a half can do things that there's not even a chance that he could do at one years old, right? And that's just obvious when you say it out loud. But when you say that there are things at 35 that there's no way that you could have ever done at 32, you kind of think to yourself, well, that, that sounds a little silly. Right. But there are, there's hundreds of things. The, the development of adults drastically slows down once you become an adult. And it's only those people, executives, coaches, athletes, business owners that take it on themselves to continually learn that develop and, and see their, their lives, their work, the trajectory of their everything go upward by their ability to learn. But for some reason, as adults, we kind of, the tendency is to kind of shut down. We don't really expand nearly as fast as we do when we're kids. And that, think- that's only because of our decisions not to do it. It's not because of ability. So do you also necessarily think, though, that maybe these adults shut down because they don't have that guidance and something like a CEO could give them that guidance? Do you think that that plays a role in it, too? I think mentorship definitely plays a role. I think I think not having and being surrounded by the, the type of people that think similarly to that is a detriment. You know, if you're not around people that think that way, it's impossible for you to even know that that exists, you know, so... Yeah, I mean, it's just something I was talking about with with another guest before. It's just the the environment I think that you're put in can make or break a player. And whether they they could be the best player coming out of high school or the worst player coming out of high school, I think you know, like like we just mentioned, having that mentor or that coach around you can really make or break somebody. And you know, a lot of it too, I think, falls on the individual. But having somebody else there to to kind of mentor you and push you through think plays a huge role, especially as a coach. I mean, these, these kids are giving you a lot of time and at, at the college level, four years and maybe five years, but you know, they, they kind of rely on you to, to get them to reach their potential. So, you know, it's just funny how, it, I mean, it works in all aspects of life. Definitely. Yeah. As a player, you, you need to be challenged. You need to be supported. You need to have good feedback from a coach or a mentor. At the same time, you need to have the internal discipline and the wherewithal to put yourself and make it through tough situations, right? Like we'll use you as an example. You're a goalkeeper. The only reason why you're more confident today at stopping a PK is because you've had probably tons of PKs scored on you and you've, you've messed up your footwork and you've had a mentor point that out and you've let up goals that have been huge, maybe game ending or season, season ending, right? But you survived, you learned from it, you learn how to handle it and you move on. And there's a responsibility as us as individuals to put ourselves in those situations. And we can't just rely on our coach or a mentor to do it for us too. So it's developments about all of that, not just one or the other. Absolutely. So, so now, so then you end up leaving, we'll get back to our story. So we, so Decker communications, you leave, uh, and then now you take this new position in Colorado. 
I did. Yeah. And so funny as it works, I, in my previous role doing something very similar, very similar work, um, I did a lot of self self marketing, right? a lot, a lot of putting out content, finding information that I thought was relevant for clients and connecting them, developing strategic partnerships in a way that, you know, on, on the surface may not make a whole lot of sense, but when you started to go down into it, you started to see a real integration. And so, I started to look for content. I was always looking for content, and so one of the clients that I had had was really looking for more leadership type of solutions for what they were going through that really couldn't just be solved with communication and the work that I was doing at the time. So I was just doing some research, just maybe finding a white paper. And I came across a white paper and it was by the center for creative leadership, which is a a global nonprofit um, specializing solely in leadership development. And so I started to read through this and just being the kind of the the nerd that I am, I like that stuff. And so at nine o'clock at night, I'm reading a 15-page white paper about leadership development uh, and kind of enjoying it. And so I started to read more and more of their stuff. I said, man, this is fascinating stuff. And then just how it works um, on LinkedIn, I saw that I was was connected to somebody at the Research Institute. One of those, I've never spoken to the person before. I have no idea if I asked him to connect or vice versa, but there we were. And I was on the website. And I looked and I saw that they had an opportunity available in Colorado Springs. And I said, you know what, let me just reach out to this, this guy that I'm connected with. And sure enough, uh, long story uh, short, they, uh, we, we ended up finding a, a place for me at CCL and moved my family to Colorado Springs and have completely changed uh, the trajectory of, of where I was going. Yeah. So now in this new role, what, what are some of like the most rewarding things that you get out of it working with these different, I guess, adults, if we, if you will, uh, or executives in, in these positions and, you know, what, what's so rewarding about helping them become a better leader? Well, I, the, the, the rewarding part of this whole experience for me is outside of center for creative leadership inside of center for creative leadership. The, when you have the ability to go into anybody's life, let alone an executive who's responsible for an entire function of a 40,000 person workforce. And you can help that executive do their job better, be a better person for their team, be the person that is now the resource for this incredible body of people that they can go to, you know, that, that has an impact. And so when you're working with a healthcare company or a hospital chain to make sure that the, the, the chief nursing officer is connecting with and listening better and giving really good coaching to her team underneath her, and that then allows that team to go give great service to people going through COVID, then that's, that's a pretty cool thing to say that you do for a living. And, uh, that that is probably one of the more rewarding aspects of what I get to do. Makes sense. So what would you say based on everything that you've done in your professional career so far, like what are your three kind of top core values of you as a person and something that you really believe in, you wake up every day, say, I'm going to give, you know, this is who I am. I'm blank, blank, blank. You know, what kind of 
are those values of yours? And I think we, we, you know, we talked a little bit about it, but just so everyone hears it. So there's, there's a few. So really what we're talking about is, is kind of like character, right? Like what is your, what's your mantra? Who are you when you're not playing shortstop or you're not in goal? Like who, how do you make decisions? And so something that I've, I learned very early and it was my first job in at first investors was you have to be honest. You have to be fair. You have to be reasonable. You have to give good direction and you have to be firm. And if you can do those things, you can be a fantastic leader. You can be a fantastic coach. You can be a fantastic mentor, uh, spouse, parent, uh, friend. Like those are just core. If you can do those things to your core, you, you can do some incredible things. And yeah, you're going to learn specific skills later on and, you know, technical skills. But unless you have that sort of core, then it's, it's really difficult for you to do the things that you want to do. And luckily for me, I've been able to do, there's not been a day since I was 23 years old and I'm 38 that I have not woken up and said, I don't want to do this today. You know, I have not gone to bed on Sunday night with the Sunday scaries and saying, Oh God, I don't want to go to work. I just, it's just never life's too short for that. And, but the only way, and we all agree on that. Like that's not, that's people don't dispute that. But at the end of the day, if you're not honest with people, you're not fair in your decision-making process. If you're not reasonable with others, if you don't give people good direction when you're in charge, if you don't take good direction when you're on a team and you're not firm in your reasoning and your positions, then it's going to be really difficult for you to do anything. And so that's that's the core. That's that's something that is non-negotiable. I love that. I love that. So I have one final question for you. Again, based on everything that you've learned in your professional career. Now, you mentioned uh, you you know you coached back way back when at RBIs, but so for those who don't know, uh, Tim was a very successful high school softball and baseball coach, uh, winning a state championship. But what would you tell yourself, your person coaching? back then in your early twenties, based on like everything, you know, now and kind of where would you see improve or where, where could you tell yourself to improve? You know, I would tell myself that you're on the right track. You're doing it. Um, you know, what you, what you thought you were setting out to do, keep going because you're on the right, the right track. What I would change or, um, you know, do different or improve it actually might sound a little crazy, but I, I would have taken more risks. <laughs> I would have I would have probably put myself out there more had I known that it would have it would have probably accelerated a lot of the things that I want to do in my life. So that's what I would tell myself. Take more risks. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, Tim, I appreciate you coming on and taking the time. Do you have any kind of final words, words of wisdom, words of guidance for coaches out there trying to be better leaders and to better themselves. You have a responsibility as a coach to make sure that your players leave better people than when you first got them. And that's true if they're playing T-ball or they're playing uh, independent baseball or major league baseball, it's, it's all the same. And so if at the end of the day, every decision that you make, about how you coach and how you handle these kids and how you, you know, handle tough situations because there's going to be tough situations, keeping in the back of your mind that the only thing 
that it's important is that these kids are learning how to be better people off of whatever court or field that they are currently on. Um, I think that's the, the responsibility you take on as a coach. And I think that sometimes we forget that as coaches. And so that would be my parting words. Yeah, I love that. Absolutely love that. But again, Tim, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. Uh, it really means a lot to me and hopefully it means a lot to the listeners out there. So again, thank you. I appreciate it. And I have to tell you, Jesse, um, if six years ago you'd say that you and I would be doing a podcast together and you'd be doing the things that you're doing, um, I would say I'm not surprised, but I would also say that would be pretty cool. So I, I think that you're, you're doing it. You're a perfect example of how you should be approaching uh, so much of what we talked today. So kudos to you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, Justin. Talk to you.